you're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Eric Kosiak williams uh, Eric's latest work is our Wretched Town Hall uh, from the fine folks of Retrofit, as well as, I'm going to try and pronounce this right, Baby Bell Wax Bodysuit, also from Retrofit, and Condo Heartbreak Disco uh, from our friends at Kyoyama, and then the self-published Hungry Bottom comics, and then the ley lines. Um, how does it feel to be held? Oh my god, I got it wrong, didn't I? Ooh, uh, how does it feel in my arms? How does it feel in my arms? That was close. It's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks for joining me today, Eric. Really here. Yeah. So, I, I had a lot of fun reading through your work. Um, I've always really enjoyed your style because it's coming to me from like a whole bunch of different directions. And one of the interesting things is, and I totally want to kind of get into your background because in one of your books, you talk about being on an Aspen comics message board and, um, (laughs) (laughs) but then your work is also so like alive with like 1970s psychedelic underground comics. Um, and so it's just interesting to see how all these things have like come together. Yeah, it's a it's a weird a weird array of <laughs> influences I've never really been totally able to shake off or completely reconcile. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I feel like I blame getting into comics on the '90s X Men TV show. Um, I think that and Sailor Moon, like I kind of started watching those when I must have been like a little nugget, like five or six or something. Um, And yeah, I don't know how I first came to like Top Cow and Aspen stuff. Um, Must have been like when I was a preteen or something. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It might have been just like bright, shiny colors. (laughs) <laughs> um, I was recently actually going through <laughs> my old comic collection because um, my parents were downsizing and moving and they were like, you need to take all of this stuff back. Like, we do not want it anymore. And um, I ended up selling it all to the Beguiling in Toronto. Um, and I was like, it was interesting going through all of it again, like kind of uh, slightly, but um, yeah, it's funny to sell it to the guyling and have them look through all of it because they know me <laughs> as me now, as opposed to like seeing all the corny shit I used to read. <laughs> I remember, um, Peter, like the owner of the guyling, uh, came up to me while I was browsing in the store and he's like, hmm, that's a lot of TNA for a gay man. <laughs> but, I feel like <laughs> I feel like it might have been like a proto drag <laughs> interest or something. <laughs> I like I, I like the uh, idea of Aspen comics as a form of drag. <laughs> um, all I, I mean... can think when I think of Aspen, all I think of is like nineteen ninety seven thong lines, like. Totally, yeah. Those song lines never went away in the Aspen world. I love it. <laughs> and I guess that's kind of when, like, Michael Turner and Heath got his big start was, like, doing Witchblade. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's such a weird thing to try and explain to someone. Just like, oh, she has this gauntlet that becomes a weird, like, fleshy bikini. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was obsessed. <laughs> I was obsessed with comics growing up and tried doing my own um, that were all kind of like thinly veiled ripoffs of less than stuff or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Sailor Moon or something. Um, and my parents kind of caught on quickly that this is something I was interested in and that I wasn't really interested in anything else. So um, to their credit, they actually enrolled me in this like Saturday uh, cartooning and animation class at this like not-for-profit art school in Ottawa. Um, had this amazing instructor there who um, taught this class in a semester and me and a group of other kids would just take it over and over again. And it was kind of the first time we felt like a little sense of community with other people who liked comics. Mm. Um, and I really credit him for the instructor for like helping introduce me to like more interesting or challenging comics like Hellboy or like uh, like Vertigo and some of the like more intellectual corners of Marvel and DC. Um, and he also had access to the photocopier at the art school and he would let me sneak into the admin office and print my own stuff and just like <laughs> use the shit out of their resources. Um, so I think as early as like 13 or 14, I was print, I was self-publishing my own little comic zines and giving them out to friends in high school. Um, and no one really knows this because I've tried to kind of bury it, but I actually had, when I was like 16, I think I, one of my first times visiting Toronto was for fan expo. I actually like had my own table in the artist alley wow. and was like selling these awful comics. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Whereabouts did but you grow up? It was a really cool way to kind of get, um, I grew up in Ottawa. My dad lived pretty downtown and my mom lived like just outside of downtown. Okay. Um, so it was an interesting place to grow up. It was like, it's technically a big city, but everyone from Ottawa kind of jokes that it's the world's biggest small town. Yeah. Well, most artists that I know get out of there to do more things. I think except Dave Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, like, there's just not <laughs> a ton of, like, resources for artists. Like, it's such a government town, you know? Um, yeah. So I think it's, like, perfectly lovely place to grow up and place to, like, have a career and family. But I remember visiting Toronto as a teenager and just, like, being so blown away by, like, the multiculturalism and just, like, the diversity of people and, like just a lot of like really kind of wonderfully freaky people everywhere. It was kind of like nothing I'd ever seen before. How old were you when you moved to Toronto? 
did you just like okay i'm 18 i'm, I'm getting out of here um yeah, well, I used university as an excuse to come here. I um, I did one year at the University of Toronto, um, thinking that I'd like do some degree in history or something or humanities. But I remember one of my first days there, they had a big like clubs day, and I remember walking around hoping to find like a comics club or a drawing club. But I didn't see anything, and I had this kind of sinking feeling that. I wouldn't really be able to keep drawing in any substantial way. Um, so I ended up applying halfway through my first year for the illustration program at OCAD um, and ended up switching to that, which was something I'm really happy I did. It's kind of like where I found a lot of my peers and was able to really take it more seriously. Did you have like Fiona Smith as a teacher there? Or? I did, actually, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I went to OCAD at an interesting time. Like, they had just become accredited as a university. Um, so everything was kind of changing. We were very much a guinea pig year when I was there. Yeah. Um, but they had a bit of an air of really wanting to be taken seriously. So comics was something they kind of were nervous to approach or they kind of shunned altogether. Um, and they had this one comic selective you could take and Fiona was the instructor. And that was like by far my favorite class in the entire program. It was amazing. Um, Cause I mean, you, have you met her before? Uh, I've interviewed her, uh, but we haven't actually talked in person. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah, she's so sweet and just, like, really interesting. Um, she gave us these kind of wonderfully open-ended assignments that really let everyone kind of go in their own direction, um, like, as strongly as possible. And um, I knew when I was taking her class that I wanted to put together a more autobiographical comic. Um, and it was actually like used the assignments for her class to start making the first Hungry Bottom comics or what became it. Yeah. Um, so I'm always kind of like in major gratitude to her because I wouldn't have had time to do it otherwise. I was like in school full time and it was crazy. So did you not necessarily see comics as like the ultimate angle for you? It was more focused on drawing and illustration? Yeah, well, I knew I knew I always wanted to be making comics in some sense. Um, but yeah, the program intrigued me because I wanted to think about how to make illustration into something like viable as a career or like just to learn uh, different techniques for drawing. Um, and I think the program was helpful in that way, but it was also like... I mean, I was in school 2009 to 2000 to 2013, um, and like the world is changing and continues to change like so much for illustration, just with yeah. the role social media plays, how technology is changing. So, yeah, I feel like my instructors did the best they could, but they were really kind of speaking from 
their own experience where it's like, oh, editorial illustration, which is like not even a thing anymore in the same way. It's crazy. Yeah. So starting on Hunger Bottom uh, comics and kind of the work you're developing into it, um, is that uh, kind of a snapshot of your like personal comics development? Yeah, totally. Um, it kind of, yeah, it felt like it was kind of a big moment for me because um, the first couple years when I moved to Toronto, um, I feel like so much happened in those years. Like I um, came out as gay and was in a new city um, where I didn't know anybody. Um, so yeah, I was kind of like flinging myself in a million directions and um, really kind of like doing a lot of the growing up that I feel like most straight people are doing a little bit of before that, like kind of playing catch up in a way. Um, and yeah, in those years, I wasn't, I was still drawing, but wasn't, it was kind of a break from the comics I was making in high school. Like I had this feeling like the me from high school who's making comics was like closeted, unhappy me or something. So I was like, oh, I can't make comics right now or like reconcile those like two parts of my life or whatever. Um, and yeah, I was, I was really, I was going out dancing a lot and meeting a lot of people and um, having like relationships, flings, falling on my ass a lot. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm like learning so much too, just about like queer culture and history in the city where there's so much of it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much excitement about that. Like it was something I always wanted for myself and never really thought I could have access to. Um, but then after being in it for a bit, um, I started to see like some cracks in that fantasy as well, I guess. Um, like within the gay community, I was noticing like people weren't always very nice or like very good about communicating or like valuing one another um, and that this community that I'd always wanted to be a part of like really has a ton of its own problems so I kind of got to this point where I I retreated from all of that a little bit and was starting to take school stuff more seriously with illustration and it kind of presented itself as a really great opportunity to kind of like reflect on everything through comics. Um, and I'd also, I'd also started seeing more um, alternative like underground comics in the years leading up to and when I moved to Toronto. Um, I actually remember when I was like 14 or 15, uh, my dad, bless him, gave me a copy of Joe Sacco's Palestine graphic novel <laughs> and as well as Louis Riel by Chester Brown. Like he had just like read on some website that both of these were like major like indie comics to check out. Um, 
And he, I remember him saying like, oh, you probably won't get much out of these right now, but hang on to them and like you might appreciate them as time goes on. And sure enough, like they always kind of sat on my bookshelf and I started poking through them a bit more. And that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of like seeing more like experimental or autobiographical comics. Um, I think a big one that I saw when I moved to Toronto was um, the reprint of uh, Art Spiegelman's Breakdowns. Oh, okay. Um, that kind of like blew my brain open because um, I read Mouse like everyone, but I like I think a lot of people assume that that's like Art Spiegelman's one aesthetic when it was really something that he just put together for that project. Yeah. So it was really amazing seeing his like wild 70s and 80s stuff um, just in terms of the way he experimented with page layout. Um, and I had also been really inspired by the page layouts from Joe Sacco's stuff where he's kind of playing with chaos and like using the page in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Um, and same going back, back to the comics I was reading in high school, um, like Promethea, like J.H. Williams's stuff was also kind of like a big, big influence when I wanted to start experimenting more with comics. Um, that, that Art Nouveau. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, ugh, so decorative and just like lush and crazy. Um, Did you know that he uses no photo reference? Ugh, what? Stop. <laughs> That's he, crazy. What? He, <laughs> and the work he does now, he doesn't even pencil. Uh, oh my <laughs> he is a mutant that's like terrifying <laughs> I know. Uh, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> like what was i talking about again <laughs> um so yeah it was such a like really like fertile period for me just like being exposed to so much stuff both in life and like seeing all this like amazing art um and just before i started working on hungry bottom comics i visited tcaf for the first time um which was must have been yeah it was 2009 or so so it was when koyama press was really starting to kind of uh hit the ground running like that was when she I had remember, like one little table right yeah totally in the, in she had room. like uh-huh. Yeah, that's where I met her for the first time, actually. Like, I picked up the first couple issues of Luz um, and maybe, like, a Jesse Jacobs thing. Um, and what's so funny is I remember I got home from TCAF and 19-year-old me sent Annie Koyama this email being like, oh, like, you should publish me and here's why. <laughs> Um, so mortifying to look back on, but she was so sweet and polite. She got back to me like really quickly and she was like, oh, thanks for your interest. Like I have a lot on the go, but <laughs> um, she did, she said she liked my stuff and would follow it. Um, and over the years, 
she did. And she would always, when I started tabling at TCAF with Hungry Bottom Comics, um, she would swing by and pick them up and like introduce me to people. So yeah, like I got, yeah, my first couple years here, there's like so many, so many seeds being planted for the stuff I'm up to now. It's crazy. Now there's some stuff I want to just touch on with, with Hungry Bottom that, um, it, it, one of the things I was thinking about is because, um, like, you had this certain idea of, like, coming into the big city, quote-unquote big city, uh, and yeah. being fully immersed in queer culture there and just kind of, like, having your expectations kind of change with the reality. And one of the things I think about with a title like that, um, and then there's another comic, I think it was The Twankening, um yeah <laughs> it, it is like a sense of like disposability where um you feel like kind of maybe not you feel but there the the notion of um this kind of artifice of youth and um kind of surface stuff and kind of how mm-hmm. that, that felt for you kind of like as a young man jumping into this culture but kind of not necessarily feeling respected or maybe I'm just inserting way too much and going way beyond the line of what I'm saying here no no you're so on it um that's kind of exactly how I was feeling um because when yeah when I started going to gay clubs it was like the very start of uh, hookup apps becoming a thing um and they're really, I mean, like in gay culture, there's been like antecedents for that. Like there's been like phone sex lines and there's been like internet chat and all that. So it's not like it was totally new, but it was kind of a moment where uh, more people were jumping on it and there hadn't really, there wasn't really any etiquette that had emerged yet. So yeah, people could be really harsh. Um, there is this kind of, there is a code around then that would often be seen on people's profiles that said, like, mask for mask, um, where it's like, oh, I'm like a chill, masculine guy looking for the same. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of like a major, major thing of, like, kind of internalized homophobia and, like, fear of femininity that I think is always kind of lingered in gay culture but you're really kind of seeing it like really out out there and you're engaging with it all the time so yeah i remember like even now i'm kind of guilty of looking back on things with like rose tinted lenses or whatever but when i actually think back on it there'd be so many nights where i would go out and be really excited but then at the end of the night, I would leave and feel like just crushed, like I was like not attractive or desirable or like, ugh, yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that because I felt like so many people were feeling that way, but didn't really feel comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, I also in my own background, kind of. I mean, I adore my family, but we're a little on the waspy side, <laughs> like shy about talking about kind of serious or uncomfortable things. So 
I feel like making the comic was kind of a dare to myself <laughs> to like really go outside my comfort zone and just like lay it all out there. <laughs> Love it. Looking back at some of the stuff I made, I'm like, how did I do that? Like, <laughs> really just kind of like doing it. <laughs> Is that where kind of as your work has developed, um, and getting more abstract and more kind of conceptual in the character development and the character visualizations. Uh, is that kind of that sense of that waspy masking and kind of putting up an artifice? <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit. Um, and like, <laughs> you're putting me on blast. No, <laughs> no, it's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not on blast it's um, it's talking about but, uh, the know, way I the work of... works like we don't have to always be putting ourselves raw out there like chester brown you know like let's put a couple layers in there um yeah sorry <laughs> it's true yeah and uh no it's absolutely like i i ended up doing three issues of hungry bottom comics um because um so yeah, so the first one came together and it was a moment of kind of like amazing like timing uh, because as I was finishing it, I was starting to ponder. I was like, oh, how am I going to like polish this? Like, I kind of just want to put it out myself, but I don't know any printers and I don't just want to photocopy it like I did when I was 14. Um, and just when I was thinking about that, I got an email, uh, like a blast email from uh, Jeskeet, who uh, was just starting his color code, like risograph business. Um, so he sent out this email saying that he's open for business and that he could do low print runs for reasonable prices. And it was just such a eureka moment. So I got in touch with him and saved a bunch of money for my serving job. Um, and brought it to TCAF and tabled with it. And I think I sold out of the whole print run in that weekend, which is crazy. Um, people responded to it really well, and it kind of inspired me to want to keep the momentum going. Um, so I did two issues in each year following 2012. And, yeah, by the end of it, I felt just kind of tired of talking about myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, yeah, I kind of reached a point where um, I was starting to have more like serious long-term relationships and I kind of just wanted to like live in those rather than be like writing about them as they were happening, you know? Yeah. Well then, and that kind of goes with the shift, um, to the work about community and about homes and um i know in vancouver especially yeah, totally. um you know all areas of the city have become ridiculously unaffordable with a one-bedroom rent being above two grand um you know the mm -hmm. the queer community in vancouver the the main uh gayborhood um in the west end is also in the most desirable part of the city 
and so the rents are continuously um, skyrocketing um, and I'm presuming that is kind of a reflection of what you've been feeling in Toronto and uh, kind of wanting to have frank open discussions about what does it mean to have a home and to have homes taken away yeah yeah um, I started thinking about that as the years went on living here um, it would kind of start with like oh like like I started going out to more like we have our gay village a church in Wellesley but then we also have kind of an unofficial West End queer scene, like more kind of alternative um, that 10 years ago was kind of centered around Queen West. So it would be called like Queer West. Um, and I feel like when I really started to find my people, um, it was from going to bars outside of the village and meeting more meeting more queer people who are into, like, the things I was into. Um, but then those places would start to close <laughs> or um, have to move. And as time went on, and I would, like, yeah, in my early 20s, I was living, I was moving every year myself and living in some really sketchy, awful places. Um, and throughout making comics, I've also had a day job serving at a restaurant for the last eight or nine years. And the neighborhood I, I work in has changed so much over time. So yeah, this feeling of uh, lack of affordability and kind of unregulated development had really started to take over what I was thinking about. Um, and when I finished Hungry Bottom, I know I wanted to do something that was a bit more outward looking um, and taking on more, more kind of like ambitious and political subject matter. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I didn't really have a plan at first, like what ended up becoming Condo Heartbreak Disco. I was originally going to just self-publish again, like maybe as a series of three floppy comics. Um, but in another kind of yay moment, uh, I had started posting some drawings from, uh, the start of the comic on Instagram or something. And then the next morning I got an email from Annie Koyama asking if I wanted to go out for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, so she ended up asking me for a pitch, which was like a, a really amazing kind of full circle moment for me because I'd been such a fan of her press in my years living here and it was always kind of a goal to work with her. Mm -hmm. um, so was the pitch that you brought to her pretty much that, that concise book? Yeah, um, I knew I knew I wanted to do something not too long because uh, the way I was working at the time um, at MC was really kind of uh, dense and um, mm -hmm. 
complex, like I, on average at the time, I think drawing one page would take me like four or five days. So um, I knew I wanted to make something that was kind of medium length. Um, and yeah, she was really supportive of the idea from day one because um, it's an issue she's so sympathetic to, like working with so many artists um, who've been faced with evictions and just hard times economically. So I really appreciated her kind of getting what I was going for. And it's, it's hard to talk. It's not just facing evictions, but it's also like the ripple effects of uh, having to work more to pay rent, to having less time to work on, on work or having to compromise more with your work to kind of look and see what is commercially viable or, financially viable um so much of this ripples out and as well as the kind of effects of kind of open gallery spaces and being unable to connect with folks through that way and kind of things being siloed mm -hmm. yeah totally um and it's something i mean i've kind of i've like I've received feedback from peers and I've felt this way myself from time to time, but the way I work can be like unnecessarily fussy, <laughs> but, um, I feel like, <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like, um, I feel like we, with comics, especially like we read stuff so quickly, um, and then put it on a shelf is forever. Um, and I, I don't know, I think there's something to be said for making something dense that kind of forces someone to dwell on a page and kind of live in it. Because um, I've had, yeah, I've also, by the same token, I've had so many peers kind of griped that they'll work on something for like two years and then have someone read it in like half an hour, which is like wild. <laughs> So I think that kind of, that all kind of ties back to what you were saying about just like having the time to make stuff with the way things are now. Yeah. No. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense. <laughs> no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Like it, it affects uh, even what you're making and, and how you're making it. I mean, I will say your work, your work is um, you can tell a lot of time and love is going into those pages um, you've definitely taken a cue from Joe Sacco with the cross hatching, uh, which he will say will take up more time. Ugh, than yeah, I've, I've tried to scale back on that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's actually kind of neat how uh, I think you use color really nicely in the, our wretched town hall, um, and it. Worked. Thank you. Yeah, um, was that a new thing for you to kind of venture more into that? It was for sure, um, because from my background of making stuff as a teenager, um, I would always work in black and white um, because I'd be Xeroxing things afterwards. So um, I remember when I was getting into OCAD, I found color like so daunting. So when I first started toying with it, I would always keep my tones like really kind of safe and neutral. Um, or I would just stick to black and white altogether. Um, and it was when 
I started working on the Baby Bell comic for Retrofit, where they said it could be full color, that I kind of challenged myself to like resist my reservations and really just kind of go balls to the wall, like <laughs> take every hue you can find on Photoshop. <laughs> so I feel like in the new book, uh, Our Wretched Town Hall, um, I was able to kind of uh, take my experimentation and kind of like direct it to more specific ends, like for each story in there. So I had a ton of fun doing that. Like I'm really really turn to love working color um i really i want to talk about the britney comic um oh sure <laughs> i feel like we don't talk about britney in the right I feel way like enough people either right i feel the same way um i feel like when i put out the baby bell comic the britney spears comic was either people either like loved it or they like were so shy and didn't even really know how to talk about it or just <laughs> kind of like glazed over it all together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think of like, there's something and there's so much iconic about Brittany, but especially like so fundamental of like someone whose complete personal agency is taken completely away and is put out there as like a commercial good for everyone and you can see the harm and the trauma it does yeah. on her and it's just comical to folks but it's like i just remember like dr phil rushing in to like be the rescuer uh and really just trying to get his money out of it too and it's just like oh my god you really feel yeah. for her and kind of what she represents mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I feel like her situation is kind of reminiscent of old Hollywood in a way, um, yeah. where like studio actresses were like owned by the studio and yeah, were kind of like discarded when they weren't useful anymore or like, yeah, no agency either. Um, like Judy Garland being pumped full Yeah, doing that comic was totally, yep. Yeah, very that. Um, I grew up, like, I remember secretly loving Britney because I was, like, I would have been a kid when her first albums came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, girlfriends of mine in elementary school playing her albums on boomboxes, and I would, like, I could never own them myself, but I would always, like, <laughs> listen in and be like, oh, I secretly love this, but I can't tell anybody. <laughs> So, um, it was so great coming to Toronto and then having, because when I came to Toronto, it was when her albums Blackout and Circus came out, which came out kind of around her big meltdown, um, but were actually, in my opinion, her strongest work, like really kind of dark and experimental. Um, and yeah, no, I kind of started thinking about what she's going through in a more kind of like social cultural critique. So, um, I mean, I feel like with a lot of my comics, it's kind of a excuse to like take a seemingly useless repository of nerdy information and like turn it into something. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it, <laughs> it was fun to do something that was like uh, kind of a nod to the superhero comics I grew up reading, but also um, very much kind of a loving tribute to what she represents to me and to what she's been put through. Um, for anyone who hasn't read it, the story is about is set a hundred years in the future where um, a cyborg Britney Spears is still performing at her Las Vegas residency for, um, but she's eventually triggered into self-awareness and remembers her human life and then breaks free from the Vegas compound and ends up kind of falling in with like a group of like future feminists who are hiding out in the desert. <laughs> um Something I would love to like expand into a longer work sometime. I did this one in like eight pages, but I think there's something that could be fleshed out for sure. Yeah. Now, uh, before we started, you mentioned that you're kind of working on um, kind of more or different work or collaborating with folks and kind of in that development process. Um, do you see yourself shifting into into different modes or um, kind of where, where do you see yourself going right now? Um, all kinds of directions, <laughs> which is like exciting and also uh, pulling my brain apart a little bit right now. Um, uh, while I've been doing comics the last few years, I've also been doing a ton of event posters um, around Toronto. Um, I started doing them for this dress that I was really, really into. Um, I would do monthly posters for their events. Um, it was a kind of, it was a great way to reach out to people in different communities and feel like I could kind of reconcile love of comics and illustration with my love of like queer culture and nightlife and over time, I've started doing more posts for, like, uh, queer parties and music events. Um, and that's also kind of spun out into me doing these, like, illustrated comic concert reviews for Now Magazine, which is Toronto's version of the Village Voice, like, free weekly newspaper. Mm -hmm. Um so it's been really, it's a great outlet, um, really interesting way of like reaching out to new audiences and to really kind of explore um, my love and knowledge of music through comics. So yeah, there's some projects that are coming up um, that are a lot more sustained and long-term that might incorporate uh, like posters and illustrations as well as comics. Um, it's kind of like hush-hush at the moment, but I think we're going to be announcing it in the next month or two. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, and I'm going to be trying to do that in addition to my own comic stuff, in addition to my day job. So uh, like you were saying, that that Toronto life of doing <laughs> slash big city life, just doing like too many things at once. Ugh. How to keep life sustainable. I don't know, man. I have some friends who've been moving to like Hamilton and Guelph and they seem to like it out there. I don't know. Yeah. 
uh, not for everyone. Uh, <laughs> I moved uh, to a suburb and people thought I was crazy. Um, so, you know. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Where are you living now? Uh, New Westminster. It's about oh, cool. two towns yeah, over Yeah, I mean, Vancouver. I think there's... Okay. I mean, close enough that if you, like, need to come into town for stuff, like, it's very possible. Um, something I wish we had more of in Canada was, like, was, like, uh more infrastructure between small cities, like a light rail type thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so not comics related, but <laughs> I think about it all the time. It would just make everything so much easier. Like it would just, I think it would really help. Um, it would help artists feel more comfortable living in small to medium sized towns. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I live on a SkyTrain line, which is like our version of the subway. Um, so I can get into town relatively oh, yeah. easily. But um, I'm pretty much as like far as you'd want to live to be able to still access the city. So it's, it's right. you know, Vancouver was never really a thoroughly thought out city. Um, it just keeps expanding and expanding, but there's no infrastructure and there's only really like one highway to bring everyone into town uh from the area that expands to because vancouver it's like we have mountains on one side america on the other and then just like this valley that goes uh <laughs> east and so everything comes from that valley um but it's, yeah it doesn't, doesn't really work right so, um thank you for kind of the that. same in toronto yeah we Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, kvetch about the Toronto. No, like we. <laughs> no, we like it. It sounds so similar to here. Like we, um, like the main streets here are tiny. Like we weren't really. I don't think anyone envisioned Toronto to be quite as big and intense as it is now. You know. No. And. Uh... Yeah, it's uh, all the urban planning is um, is not necessarily done to keep everyone that needs it um, supported. That's a good way of putting it. No, yeah, no, I think about that a lot. Um, when I moved here, I mean, I think things were already getting expensive, but things still felt a lot more possible like it felt more feasible to like take risks or start things up mm -hmm. um and that's kind of a parallel with like koyama press starting up around then like it was kind of a real moment for toronto comics so i hope we'll i hope we'll keep things going as things get different and keep mutating mm. Well, I'm excited to see where your work goes and kind of what different things develop. Um, reminder, folks, Eric's latest book is Our Wretched Town Hall, as we've been talking about poor urban planning. Um, and other works include uh, Condo Heartbreak Disco and Baby Bell Wax Bodysuit. And if you're a TCAF, you can find Eric hanging out at the retrofit table with a lot of other really good stuff. Um, 
Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. Thank <laughs> you.